This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Accelerating Government with Act IAC on Federal News Network. Now your host, Dave Winogren. Welcome to our show. For over 40 years, the American Council for Technology and Industry Advisory Council has brought together government and industry leaders to accelerate government mission outcomes through collaboration, leadership, and education. On today's episode, we'll be talking with three of the outstanding federal technology leaders who have recently received ACT-IAC 2022 Executive Leadership Awards. Our guests today are Maria Rode, Sam Navarro, and Ann Armstrong. And our first guest today is Maria Rode, owner of M.A. Rode Consulting, former federal deputy CIO, former SBA CIO, as well as a number of August government titles and past president of the American Council for Technology. But perhaps most importantly for today, Maria is the 2022 ACT-IAC Government Executive Leadership Award winner bestowed in the spirit of John J. Frankie. Welcome back to the show, Maria, and congratulations. Wow, great. Thanks so much. And thank you for having me here today, Dave. Excellent. Maria, I had the chance of sharing some time together in Hershey recently. You were one of the distinguished technology leaders who joined us on stage for our panel commemorating the 20th anniversary of the eGov Act at our Imagination ELT conference in Hershey, Pennsylvania. I'm wondering, as you survey the last 20 years, what's one thing that has significantly changed in the federal technology market over the last 20 years? And what's one thing that has remained the same? Uh, That's a great question, Dave. And for our listeners who weren't at ELC, that panel was a blast. It was a lot of fun. When you, you know, Dave, when you look at the the landscape and what's changed the most, you know, technology changes, right? That's a given, right? There's just been huge strides in technology over the last 20 years. But I think the use of data um, has really come front and center. There's always been this data contingent, statisticians and others that use data all the time, yet with the technologies, coupled with technologies, with AI being able to load it up in the cloud and and have access to the data, and using that data for decision-making and being able to visualize the data. Using the data, put a map of the United States or the globe, you can see sources, you can see just all kinds of things. And I think that's really where I see technology and data has really changed the most when you look at the at the landscape, and and you ask about it, <laughs> what remains the same, um, the budgeting cycle. You know, even from the EGov Act and before that, OMB does budget the same way. And having spent uh, just shy of two years at at OMB, and you know, all this time with the federal government in the budget cycles, I would love to see a much broader federal-wide perspective to the budget, right? The intersection of agencies really needs to be taken into consideration because the federal government is that enterprise. It's a system of systems. And I think when you look at the budget and you look at how the federal government operates from agency to agency and how they work together, the budget has remained the same. Well, and many other things have moved on. And I think there's some opportunities there. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I think, you know, we, we talk about things like MGT, Modernizing Government Technology Act, and it talks about like the power of things like working capital funds to give you more flexibility. There's all these sort of changes in the way technology gets delivered that's changed that requires us to have more flexibility. And yet if we're not looking at entire budgets across organizations and seeing where nexuses are, then you're right. We, we tend yeah. to miss out. 
that annual, you know, we've talked about that annual budget cycle, right? Year over year and annual budgets, that just does not work. And, and it's not just the annual, but it's really looking at the big picture rather than little silos of individual departments or even sectors. It's just, that's not working right. anymore. Right. We could go, we could go down a rabbit hole on this, but you're just so right. I mean, you know, all the bad behavior that happens with like one-year funds that people have to pile on at the end of the year, because if we don't spend it, we'll lose it. And then we won't get more money. It creates this bad behavior. And it, and and then if you add on to that, the continuing resolution problem, I'll say at the beginning of years, you have this really short space where you can start anything new. And uh, yeah, it's a challenge. Exactly. Yeah. So let's go back to the first point that you made though about data, because data of course is one of the four pillars, if you will, of the new federal IT operating plan. So uh, on the data front, because you're right, it is just hugely important. What's some advice that you'd like to offer folks listening today from the government and industry technology market about how to make some advances with data? You know, I think within agencies, agencies, departments um, really need to get out of their own way around data sharing. It's always about, oh, privacy or, but when you really dig into it, um, it's really not that it's somebody who's holding the data saying, well, I can't share it with you, even if they're in the same agency, the same office and working with each other. There's one agency who who did one PIA, privacy impact assessment for the whole agency and everything's the same. Um, you know, and I certainly understand the privacy considerations. However, when you're trying to address a mission and you're working within the same office or the same agency, there are advantages to sharing the data. And I really think that in some areas, people just got to get out of their own way for the good of government, for the good of the American public to open that up so that we can better serve the citizens. We got to get out of our own way. I love it. And so I, I feel like now we're touching on some of the big topics in the federal technology market today. So let's keep rolling with that and, and just say, since you've been a witness to all of the big technology issues for, for some time now. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts on a couple other ones. So let's start with technology modernization. What's going well and what still needs to be done in the federal market? Yeah, agencies are, are I think, you know, the CIOs who've got a good runway, you know, who have, you know, the resources and, and things like that have really made a lot of strides. And the CIOs that have been in place for a while, not just for two years, but four years or five years, have really made a tremendous impact on modernization at their agencies and really being able to serve up what's needed for their customers, regardless of who the customer is. Just those strides with the CIOs. And I think more work still needs to be done. I think a concerted effort around some of the older technologies Um a concerted effort needs to be able to take it on. Everybody says it's too hard. Well, at some point, you just, what do you got to do? Fish or cut bait, right, Dave? <laughs> Absolutely, right? Sometimes you just got to go for it and really take on some of those harder problems around modernization, particularly when they impact multiple agencies or how they serve the federal workforce. I'm thinking like some of the payroll and some of the HR systems and things like that that really need some work. I think the TMF has been an accelerator for some of the agencies and their modernization when you look at HUD and some of the work CBP's done to get rid of some of their legacy um, technologies. But what's really good is agencies are really taking advantage of the cloud and AI and a lot of the capabilities, some of the low, no-code capabilities and really being able to move quickly to really make changes 
um, just across the federal government. And I think some of it's just phenomenal what the CIOs are doing and how they're, they're taking advantage of that. I would like to see more. There's some tremendous pilots um, that are happening across the federal government. The hard part is taking those pilots and moving them to the next stage, to implementation and making them operational, and then sharing that across the federal government. I think there's still some more work that needs to be done in that space. Very good. I don't want to turn this into stump the chump or something like that, but you're doing such a great job with these lightning rounds on top technology issues. I feel like we should do a couple more. So why don't we turn our attention for the minute to cybersecurity, which clearly remains a national imperative, yet so much has changed in terms of approach and priorities and so what are some of your thoughts about, you know, having come through the pandemic as a federal leader and recognizing the shift of virtual technologies and how that puts a different spin on cybersecurity? What are some thoughts about advancing cybersecurity in government? You know, agencies, their level of maturity around cybersecurity is, is uneven. We know that, that it's uneven. The Zero Trust um, Memorandum from OMB and a lot of the activity there is really trying to get everybody to an equal playing field. So I want to say cybersecurity continues to be a challenge. I don't want to say that it's a problem, but I think it's a challenge that the federal government is addressing uh, within their spaces. But I think agencies are looking at it from different ways, right? So I was the CIO at Small Business Administration. I looked at cybersecurity through the lens of I am running a bank with billions of dollars in uh, you know, grants and loan guarantees and things like that. So I always had that lens of I am running a bank and what, do, what are my priorities as SBA as a bank and where should my focus be? And, you know, I had threat assessments. I had, you know, teams looking at the landscape and they were very focused on the financial landscape. And for cybersecurity, other agencies are doing the same, right? They're looking at it through the lens of their mission. So you really can't lose sight of that either, even as you're bringing up the maturity across the federal government. CISA's doing a lot of good work in this space. Um, I know they're also working with, you know, a lot of the states and industry and, and the like. You know, cybersecurity is not one and done, and, and the maturity is going to continue and just keep moving forward. And anything you do to take the next step and make it better um, is a good thing. We're talking with recently retired federal deputy CIO Maria Road. We're going to take a short break now. I'm Dave Wendergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACTIAC on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Accelerating Government with ACTIAC. I'm Dave Wendergren, and on today's episode, we're talking with some of the recipients of the 2022 ACTIAC Executive Leadership Awards. On this segment, we continue our conversation with Maria Rote, owner of MA Rote Consulting, former federal deputy CIO, and the recipient of the 2022 ACT-IAC Government Executive Leadership Award, bestowed in the spirit of John J. Frankie. Maria, as we were going to break, we were talking about new ways of doing things, and I think continuing on that theme of identifying new approaches and solutions for government agencies, you've been a big champion about bringing innovation to government. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the successes you've had, for example, some of the work you did at SBA or, or any time in your career? I think it would be good for the audience to know, like, the art of the possible, that it is possible to bring innovative solutions and new approaches to government. And what are some of the necessary steps to be successful at introducing innovative new ideas and then having them stick? 
Yeah, thanks, Dave. You know, I think I've been on the leading edge pretty much my whole career in federal government. That's what I love about working for the government. But you're right, you know, making things stick is the hard part. And we had a saying when I was at the SBA, we were burning the bridges behind us, so there is no going back. So even as we were making change, but the innovation isn't just, you know, with technology, but you got to have the creative team and the people that go with it and allow people to take risk and try things. The innovation we did with um, CDM, Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation, right? What we did with CDM, I, you know, was born out of, I don't have the money to buy hardware, so let's just put it in the cloud environment, right? Let's just spin it up in the cloud. Great. Not terribly innovative, but it was something the government was just not doing. And we had to work through the culture of people saying, we can't do that. I said, yeah, you can, because I don't have $200,000 to pay for hardware, So we're going to go do it that way. But having the team that embraces those type of ideas and the tick, the trusted internet connection, you know, why do I have to do all this? Why can't I do this through software mechanism in the cloud? Why can't I do this? And this is where we really leaned in and had federal wide impact on a lot of these things. SBA was small. I had a small team, but boy, they were pretty mighty. They burned the bridges behind us and we were able to really really make change that impacted the federal government. And I think, you know, we did a lot of experimenting and, and I think some of that was really driven out of, we were coming out of a, you know, when I took on SBA, that was more than 10 years behind in tech. And we just didn't say, well, we're going to do, you know, those 10 years, one year at a time, we just leapfrogged and having building a team that gets the vision that says we're going to move hard and we're going to move fast was just incredible. And I think making it stick is part of that's persistence, really having the wherewithal. And I think, you know, persistence, I want to talk about that for a second, because David took seven years to really get interagency collaboration going. Think about that. I was at DOT as the CTO when we tried to do the first interagency collaboration. And all we got was talk to the hand and no. Um, an agency said, oh, cybersecurity this and cybersecurity that, even though I wanted to chat with somebody, I couldn't. But I saw the potential in that when I was at SBA. We kicked the tires on it. I worked with the EPA and NASA. We did our own little thing. And then when you fast forward, I got to be the deputy federal CIO. Guess what one of my projects was? Um, to really, really roll out interagency collaboration for the federal government and get the barriers out of the way they're not technical. It's people and perceived policies oftentimes um, that's in the way. And it's the same thing with data. Sometimes it's perception, not reality. So you just got to get it out of the way to make it stick. Yeah. It takes a fascinating blend of patience and impatience in the federal market. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Patience. Organizations (laughs) are hard to move. You know, if you get frustrated every day, you're going to have a really hard life. But if you don't maintain that persistence, right, that, that sort of level of energy, then things, you know, the status quo will go on and on and on for sure. You, you mentioned people and, and, you know, it'd be so easy to do technology if it weren't for people. No, I'm only kidding. But it does speak to something that I know that you've thought a lot about, it, and that's the understanding of cultural change issues, and, right? And that's part of what helps make it stick. And So what are some of the techniques that you've used over your career? to help organizations actually embrace change rather than to avoid it? 
Um, you know, I think being a CIO, you know, it's you have to be a salesman too, or a saleswoman, um, a salesperson, because you know, affecting the change, it takes tons of communication at all levels of the organization. You're going to get people who are going to embrace it and say, "Oh, cool, this is going to be fun. We're going to be able to do a thing." Um, training, training, communications. A few of the things that we did um, were open houses, right? We did open houses. My first year at SBA, we had an open house that said, here's what's in the art of the possible. So when you start talking about it and you do some show and tells and here's where we're going, that's when you get people excited. And for cultural change to happen, you have to do things differently. I absolutely believe that. You can't change the culture without doing things differently. And that's what we were able to do. We were able to make that shift over time. And I've done that at multiple agencies that you have to change how you're doing things. And get people excited about it. When I did open houses, you know, when you get the SBA administrator coming down to our open house and she gets excited about and floored really about what we were able to do with some of the agency data. I wasn't even there a year when we did the open house and she saw it and she was just so excited. And this is part of the show and tell. And she says, well, why isn't anybody else doing this? And you know what? For me, that's like a go and I'm going to keep running with it so that that cultural change happens when you do things differently and you can't let people go back to the old ways. So, uh, you know, you've been so generous with your time and, uh, and, and yet you've had these really busy demanding jobs that consume so much of your time, but, but yet you still get back to good government groups like act. So why do you think it's so important to personally encourage government and industry collaboration and, and get involved in this sort of work outside of the day job? Yeah, you know what, Dave, that that partnership is invaluable. Um, I will tell you that the partnership, I was not successful without the partnership of my fellow CIOs, and I was not successful without my partnership with um, with industry. Case in point, the Paycheck Protection Program, the idle grants during COVID, all the money that was coming out, I could not support any of what we needed to do to roll out that huge amount of money, we could not do it without the partners. And I had my partners, because we'd done so much work so quickly on our infrastructure and our entire stack, we were positioned to take that on. But given the timelines and the deadlines, without the partnership of industry, I would have not been successful. I had you know, not only the practitioners from various companies um, on speed dial. I had senior leadership on speed dial and these partnerships were not built in a day. They were built over time. And so the vendor community was there to help. They knew what we had to do to roll out that volume of money and get it moving to the small businesses that were out there. And it was that partnership that really made it successful because I could pick up the phone and do a thing. I had a system that crashed. I would not let them bring it back up online. I knew it was old. We had to do a quick and dirty solution for two days before the other big system came up online um, to push out the idle grants. And we did it. And I could not have done those kind of things without without the partnership. Again, they say my butt. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, I'll be the first to admit it. Um, and they were able to get the resources on the ground. And I've seen that time and time again across the federal government where those partnerships and knowing who to call and who to reach out to are just so invaluable. 
We've got about a minute left. You have been such an outstanding leader throughout your career, and you've made such a big difference in government, but you've also made a big difference in the lives of so many other by mentoring. And so since the Men in Hall Award is, I mean, the Frankie Award is all about leadership, you have a parting bit of leadership advice you'd like to offer our audience of government and industry technology folks? Yeah, you know what? Um, I always, you know, thought it was important to share your experiences through, whether it's through mentoring, through the partnerships, share your experiences, learn from them, and help bring up the next generation of leaders. I can't say enough about that, about being open and honest and really sharing um, everything that, you know, I've been through, where where I've gone wrong, where I've gone right, and being very open about that. And I think that's a key piece of leadership um, as you're growing the next generation. Our conversation with Maria today has been like compass points on great technology leadership. Maria reminded us that people have to get out of their own way and that if you burn the bridges, there's no turning back. So by my estimation, that means there's only one path and that's moving forward. Maria Rote is the owner of MA Rote Consulting and former federal deputy CIO, former SBA CIO, longtime federal technology leader. Maria, thank you so much for your leadership your commitment to public service, and for taking the time to be on the show today. We're going to take a short break, and when we return, we'll be joined by GSA Sam Navarro. I'm Dave Wendergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Accelerating Government with ACT-IAC. I'm Dave Wendergren, and on today's episode, we're talking with some of the recipients of the 2022 ACT-IAC Executive Leadership Awards. On this segment, we're joined by Sam Navarro, Customer Services Director for the Centers of Excellence at the General Services Administration, and the recipient of the 2022 ACT-IAC Education Award, bestowed in the spirit of Ginny McCormick. Welcome back to the show, Sam, and congratulations on the well-deserved recognition. Thank you, Dave. It's such an honor, and thank you for having me on again. Just uh, truly a pleasure to be on. Excellent. Let's start by asking why. It's a question I framed with Maria a few minutes ago. Despite your busy schedule, you do so much for organizations like that. You're leading our supply chain work. You're a champion for our professional development programs. You make the time to give back to the community through the work of good government organizations. Why do you do it? And why should others think about doing it? That's a great question. And to caveat on Maria's point, our, our success depends on it. And in particular, these connections, relationships, the trust isn't fostered overnight. And when you most need it is when you really look at for, for the support of these different uh, engagements to deliver for our country. You know, I think we all wake up at the in, in the morning and our objective is first and foremost to do the best thing for our government. And whether it's responding to pandemics, natural disasters, or national defense, industry and government, we're in this together. So my objective in giving back is to foster the community that's gonna enable us to be successful and deal with a lot of these sticky challenges that we deal with together and have the conversation up front so that we reach the right outcomes. So it's all about building trust and building the relationships that we need to hopefully be successful together, industry, academia, and government all together. There's so much to unpack there. And we had hours we could fill at the time, I think, because, you know, this this idea about building trust is just so important. And I, and I love the thought around paying it forward, as it were. You've accomplished a lot already in your career. Tell our audience a little bit about what led you to government service and 
And give us a quick highlight of where that journey has taken you so far. I kind of was born and raised in Long Island, New York, in the suburbs of Long Island, New York, and really in a direction that uh, fluctuating between uh, working for a construction company that my uncle set up or just going to college. And 9-11 happened. And it made me as a young man reflect on what is my purpose in life, you know, and how was I going to contribute after such an, uh, just a devastating event happened to our country. So I joined the United States Army and they gave me an opportunity to serve in the capacity of an information technology specialist. And that really started my journey in government and government service. And it's never stopped since then. And I like to say that I thought about every opportunity within my career from then in terms of what's the bigger picture? How can I best contribute moving forward? And it's led me here to GSA. And I went from um, managing some of our government's largest contract acquisition vehicles and making sure we had the right offerings in place to deliver for services that the government uh, delivers to citizens every day. So now I'm in the centers of excellence and we're an enabler and a catalyst for modernization and delivering more optimal outcomes for the citizens. So it's always been about country first, nation first, and how I could apply my skills and my tool set and my knowledge and my energy in a way that hopefully gives a little bit back to this country that's given me and so many others who are probably tuning in so much uh, for us to be thankful for. You mentioned the Center of Excellence work. It's such important work. Maybe just like take a minute and just tell the audience a little bit more about what you're excited about, about what's going on with the Centers of Excellence work. So there are many things that are going on. And since 2016, we've been a catalyst for really jumpstarting agencies that are starting these large enterprise-wide initiatives and either moving to the cloud, modernizing infrastructure, as Maria said, bringing in some AI capabilities to help them really become more efficient and effective in serving the American people. So we like to pride ourselves in the centers of excellence as being the consultant arm of the Federal Acquisition Service that not only tells you how to buy what you're looking for, but we stick with you through the journey and also applying that technology within your enterprise and hopefully coming to the right business outcomes um, that you're looking for. So we specialize a little bit more in consulting and not just acquisition support. And the objective is government-to-government consulting to help drive the best outcomes for the taxpayer. The, the other key part of your, uh, of your job title, we'll just say, is, is the imperative about customer experience. It's, it's a crucial part of everything from the EGOV Act 20 years ago till now. It's a crucial component of the federal IT operating hand plan. Enhancing customer experience is such a prominent topic. What's some advice that you'd like to offer the audience on, on continuing to enhance customer experience and what agencies should be focused on? Definitely from our vantage point, you hit the nail right on the head, Dave, is focusing on the customer journey. A lot of times when we think about digital transformation, we focus too much on the technology or the tool. And when it really is about that end user or that citizen that's on the other side of that service. And what we try to do is drive the best outcomes for the person on the end and then think about the technology that aligns to its second. So really thinking about how can I incorporate human-centered design concepts into the way we build our requirements 
And how can I think about digital transformation from a perspective of speed in deploying solutions and speed in reaching business outcomes for the person utilizing the service is definitely at the forefront. And then a lot of us geeks like to then figure out a lot of the tools and, and, and the technology in the back end afterwards. But definitely making sure that we put the customer in the front seat and ahead of how we build solutions and architect solutions is key to making sure that you know we're, we're pushing the envelope in the right direction. It's so important to see this emphasis on customer experience and, and you know employee engagement. I mean, I think you know we've all seen that one of the predominant reasons why many large IT system implementations struggle is because they detach themselves from the customer and go off on their own to go build it, then come back way too long later after a protracted development period to only present something that doesn't meet the needs of the people. And, and that early involvement of the employees throughout that process and, and the work that you're championing is just so important. You know, part of the McCormick Award recognition reflects on the commitment to education. And so why do you think it's so important for us to be embracing continuous learning today and, and take the time to get involved in professional development programs and get out of the tyranny of the inbox to actually do some, you know, a continued learning for you as a government technology leader? Right. And, you know, there are so many reasons and there's tangible and intangible learning. Uh, the, 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 tan the intangible sometimes it exceed the importance of the tangible ones. But kind of like Mark Twain said, I always like to bring up this quote. He said, I never let my schooling interfere with my education, right? And so, <laughs> so, you know, schools are great. And I know a lot of us have gone to very good academic institutions, but continuous learning education is about learning and continuously learning and staying ahead of the, 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 the hype cycle, so to speak, right? And we're in a world right now where Technology is constantly, continuously evolving, and it's imperative to make sure that we're plugged in from a tangible perspective to technological understanding. And Act IAC facilitates that through our communities of interest. So my number one goal and objective is, as you say, stated, Dave, is how are we educating the community, both industry and government, on the changes within the IT market in a way that they can then take that knowledge and incorporate it to the work they do on a daily basis. And then the in intangibles is, even though you may know the market and the technology and the landscape that's out there, how are you with your leadership skill set? And so a big, really passion of mine is to also work through ACT-IAC through currently the Voyagers program, but I've also been involved on the associate side to build our future leaders, right? How do we incorporate situational leadership to our everyday work? How do we lead the workforce that we have today in a direction that helps us build those positive outcomes and use the technology that's out there to the best of its ability is something that I'm really passionate about. And ACT-IACT has given me the opportunity to do that through the Voyagers program this year. And I'm really excited to see what our future leaders are going to do with the knowledge and skill set that they're utilizing and learning through the program in their everyday work. We've got about 30, 40 seconds left. I'd love to give you an opportunity to offer a piece of leadership advice to the audience. What's on your mind? Leadership for me is about serving the people in your charge. And I learned this early on in the military where um, as I moved up the ranks, 
I became the servant to those under me. And I've kind of adopted that and continued that now as a civil servant to help the people that work for me do their jobs more efficiently and more effective, right? As leaders, we don't always come up with the best ideas. We hire smart people to do that for us. But boy, if we can remove some barriers to the way they do their work, to the way they approach the challenges that we give them every day, man, some good stuff could be done. So my key uh, kind of uh, advice to the audience is let's be servant leaders and let's remove barriers for those folks that work so hard and so diligently at the tasks we provide them on a day-to-day basis. Dan Navarro is an excellent example of servant leadership at work. He is also the customer services director for the Centers of Excellence at GSA. Thank you so much for all the outstanding work that you're doing, for joining us today, and congratulations again on the well-deserved recognition. We're going to take a short break. When we return, we'll be talking with longtime federal tech market leader Ann Armstrong. I am Dave Winogren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. I'm Dave Wendergren, and on today's episode, we're talking with some of the recipients of the 2022 ACT-IAC Executive Leadership Awards. On this segment, I am absolutely delighted to be joined by an outstanding leader and longtime friend and confidant. Ann Armstrong is Vice President for Strategic Alliances at GovExec. And congratulations on receiving the 2022 ACT-IAC Industry Executive Leadership Award bestowed in the spirit of Janice K. Mendenhall, and welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Dave. Uh, it's wonderful to be here. Excellent. Let's start with that commitment to collaboration that's called out in the Mendenhall Award. Why do you and why should other federal leaders, despite their busy schedules, take the time to give back to the community through work like through good government organizations? Well, because I think this is a special community, one that's built on relationships, sharing ideas, solutions, and connections. You know, way back in the early years when I first was a part of this community, those personal connections were vital. They're still important, even though we now have a lot more sophisticated ways to connect and interact. But I'm going to second what Maria said, I think trust is really important. It's built through personal interactions, and organizations like ACT-IAC provide the opportunities to work together, to build solution and solutions, and to exchange ideas. We shifted during the pandemic, but we had the trust that we had built over the years to draw on, and I think that's really important. You've witnessed participated in, written about so many of the big issues over the years. What are some of the big changes that you've witnessed in the federal technology market? I don't think we have two hours to talk about this. <laughs> we'll have to highlight a couple. Right. Leave All right. the rest How about of the, the digitization of everything, uh, which makes information easy to share, but hard to protect. Mobile everything. Let's remember when we started FCW, we didn't have mobile phones. We didn't have the internet. Uh, BlackBerry was a big deal when it came out in 1990. And so before the days of the World Wide Web and Google and Internet Explorer, which changed search for you know forever, 
Now there's just so much information. It again becomes a matter of trust in who who your sources are, where the information comes from. Uh, another big change, I mean, think about the GPS systems and how everything is mapped today. I mean, we, we used to uh, be very proud of the fact that the government was involved in helping to develop the GPS systems. But nowadays, everything, I mean, to get across town, you use an app which checks in with uh, the GPS systems. And they can tell you where you are, where you're going. Oh, and some of them can tell you where you've been for the last month or three years ago where you were at the same time. And certainly, I think as Sam mentioned, I think customer experience is really important. The technology changes have allowed us to better treat our customers and our employees. And I think that's a huge uh, change in the federal market as well as other markets. We were a little later to get there, but I think we're catching up. Trust is such an important topic and you know, any large complex organization deals with issues of trust. And it seems to me that that's sort of an example of something that has stayed the same while so much of the technology has changed, this this issue of can you trust others? Can you trust others to deliver IT services for you? Can you trust others to do the work for you? And uh, and and that slows down the progress of IT. Are are there other issues or challenges that you you've witnessed that, like I'll say, have sort of remained the same and and still need our attention to to move forward on? Yeah, I you may remember this, but I used to have this big blow up in my office at the front page of the first. FCW newspaper in 1987. And I would occasionally go around and point to the stories that were on that front page. And we still are worried about and covering the same things today. Uh, There was a new telecom network that was being created at GSA, and the agencies were struggling to move their uh, connections. Congress was holding hearings about security concerns and new regulations coming out of OMB. Customs and Border Patrol was struggling to consolidate and share their data. The Pentagon was doing an IRM restructuring, and Xerox was entering the federal market. That didn't last long, but most, but there's still new companies coming in. And it's just the point that uh, in some ways, the market has changed dramatically. And in others, we're still dealing with the same new iterations of the same problems. I agree with Maria that funding is still an issue. It's agencies spend too much time under continuing resolutions. Most of the people in the country don't even have any idea what that means or or why it's a problem. They just want to make sure the door is open. But that's not all the way open. It's only part of the way open. And one of the realities is that politicians still find it effective to run against whatever government is in power at the moment. So it can be hard to get the word out about what's actually working. And when we started the Fed 100 program back in 89 and 90, it was a response to a suggestion by Frank Reeder who was an executive at OMB at the time, and he thought it would help if we could showcase the good work that was actually happening in government. 
we were focused on IT, but there were other programs such as the Sammies and the Hall of Fame and ACT IAC Awards that also try to showcase what's working in government and help to build some faith in the products that come out. I love, thank you so much for sharing with us the uh, the first issue of FCW, a seminal publication in my life in the federal technology market. And I think that the fact that four out of five headlines are still germane is extremely fascinating. I don't know whether or not we should give you great credit for prognostication or we should say, oh my gosh, we're still working on the same things. But but that, that was fabulous. And so as we've reflected back and now let's turn our attention to looking forward. As, as you survey the market today, what are some of the current trends in the government technology market and management market that, that interest you and that you think uh, we should keep an eye on? Well, I think some of the trends which I find most fascinating are the way the government is working around the obstacles that they can't change. Uh, other transaction authority gives them an opportunity to get out, pilot something, do something quickly, and I'm not an expert on it, but it does seem like they're getting larger and larger and larger and that they're like billion-dollar OTAs. But the point is that they're showing innovation and they're finding a way around bureaucratic hurdles. Also, the gr- growth of as-a-service offerings, uh, agencies realize they may not have the workforce or the funding and budgets to deliver some of the services that they're that they need to provide. So they're turning to industry to help them. And now, I mean, we have everything as a service. I just love the idea that you could wake up one day and say, okay, I would like today to be as a service. But I think it shows that they're, the agencies are being creative and it also emphasizes the partnership uh, between industry and government, each delivering uh, what they can under the current rules. Um, you, you know, you have witnessed so much in the market. I, I just would love to be able to talk with you for, for hours about this. And so we're going to have to have you back on the show again because there's just so many more things that I just want to ask you about your time in this market. I will say about Ann Armstrong, if she didn't write the entire book on federal technology, she has literally been responsible for writing many of the chapters of the government technology market over the last couple of decades. Um, Ann Armstrong is the Vice President for Strategic Alliances at GovExec and, and is truly an icon in the federal technology community. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us, Ann, and thank you so much for your leadership. And thank you again for being part of the Big Act IAC family, and congratulations again about winning the award. If you'd like to learn more about Act IAC's Executive Leadership Awards, check out the Federal News Network website, or you can go to our website, www.actiac.org, A-C-T-I-A-C.org. Our guests today are all outstanding examples of how great leaders can accelerate government mission outcomes through collaboration, leadership, and education. I'm Dave Wintergren, and you've been listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. Thanks for listening to Accelerating Government with ACT-IAC. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your podcast feed. Search for Accelerating Government on Podcast One, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Premier League soccer season is heating up. Turn to Betting Weekly English Premier League on the Bet Rivers Network for the best bets and analysis for this week's features. Subscribe to Betting Weekly Premier League today wherever you get your podcast. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love Betting Weekly Game Bet Match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider.